3: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my Talk Radio Breakfast show into this daily podcast so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe.
2: Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
3: Let's talk, first of all, if we can, about care homes Front pages page of a lot of the newspapers today. The concern I mean, the Daily Mail headline, care homes catastrophe, 92 new outbreaks in 24 hours. Uh, as the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, uh, said yesterday, one in seven of our 11,000 care homes hit. And yet we're not counting coronavirus deaths in those care homes among the daily death toll. Why not?
4: Well, the source for the daily death toll reported by the government in its daily briefings, is recorded from hospitals around the country where we can access the data accurately and quickly. The Office for National Statistics is publishing the wider death uh, list uh, numbers uh, on a weekly basis where they are collating that recording of deaths from right around the country uh, in any variety of settings, including care homes.
3: But again, so the ONS, we get those figures once a week on a Tuesday, don't we? That's when we're going to see the, all the other deaths. But the reality is we're not never going to know how many people in care homes have uh, died of coronavirus. Oh, if we aren't testing, huge numbers of care home owners have said they're unable to get testing for people who they suspect to have coronavirus in their care homes. In my own, I've raised this with the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, in recent weeks, my own elderly aunt's care home. They had 11 suspected cases, maybe more now, who knows? But they've got no way of getting testing. They have pushed and pushed and pushed being told by local GPs, being told by the local council they do not have tests, they cannot be tested. We'll never know if any of those people die, if they've died of coronavirus.
4: Well, the doctors will make the assessment uh, when it comes to the sad decision of issuing a death death certificate. Uh, But I do know that there is more testing, uh, especially happening in a clinical situation in care homes. Uh, I'm conscious that we want to try and increase the number of testing right across the country. uh, And we're, Able to do that with uh, Matt Hancock's five pillar strategy, which includes uh, distributing more uh, capability for testing in different parts of the country as well.
3: But But crucially, of course, we know testing for frontline workers in the NHS or, or obviously and others, but care home workers, of course, at great risk, we know particularly because a lot of them also find it very difficult to get hold of PPE uh, this personal protective um, equipment. Um, they're not uh, getting anything but, but uh, gloves, sometimes masks very often not getting even the aprons they're not able to get hold of it. they're just as at risk given the outbreaks in these care homes as many frontline NHS workers.
4: Well, the priority for the distribution of PPE is understandably a clinical setting, um, in particular in hospitals. And that's because uh, that's where people either have very much uh, advanced uh, elements of symptoms or we know they have contracted the disease. I think, in terms of, I think we've delivered now about 8 million pieces of PPE to about 26,000 care homes and hospices around the country. More is going out, but we're conscious. That we want to continue to try and increase the amount of supply of PPE and we'll be doing that uh, not only directly to hospitals and NHS settings but also uh, working with the new uh, delivery network administered by the army to make sure that we can reach councils and, their, and through to care homes as well.
3: Okay, well, let's talk about uh, how we get out of this. So we've seen, uh, you know, Spain, uh, Italy, and Austria starting to lift their lockdowns. Germany considering reopening schools as early as next Monday. Uh, France, meanwhile, have renewed their lockdown. Emmanuel Macron last night announced another four weeks to 11th of May. We understand from the papers today <coughs> that Dominic Raab, uh, the uh, First Secretary of State for um, Foreign Secretary, is likely to announce another three weeks on Thursday, when there's a legal requirement to extend the uh, the, the lockdown to the 7th of May at the earliest. How many more weeks do you expect that the lockdown will go on? That'll be three uh, weeks, and, sorry, six weeks and two days on the 7th of May. Do you expect us to come out of lockdown then or will we spend many more weeks in lockdown?
4: Well, I think the battle against coronavirus is going to take uh, several months. That doesn't necessarily mean that lockdown will continue for all that amount of time. And I think we need to be guided appropriately by our clinical and scientific advisors. And they are meeting this week to reconsider the evidence of what's happened as a result of the consequences of the lockdown measures thus far. Uh, But I think that uh, we need to make sure that we continue to um, follow that uh, advice and we'll be in a better position to do that either at the end of this week or or next week when they will have done their appropriate analysis and future modelling.
3: Is it true that uh, more people have actually stopped work, either not not just working from home, but actually stopped going to work at all and have been furloughed, than was expected? Because the original government uh, announcement and the policy was, it seemed to me very clear. But the likes of Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, and many others, seem to find it very, very complicated. Um, that if you if you were an essential worker, you carried on working. If you were able to work from home, you worked from home. Otherwise, you could continue to go to work if it was necessary to do so. And yet, many. Millions more people didn't go to work. Millions of businesses uh, basically shut down. It's cost the government um, and taxpayers ultimately billions more pounds um, and has led to pretty much a complete shutdown of our economy. That wasn't ever the plan, was it?
4: Uh, Well, the intention is for people to try and continue to work where they can. Um, But I think it's a case of we need to um, make sure that people, if they have to leave home to go to work, can do that in a safe environment. Uh, That includes aspects of travel, Uh, but also in their actual uh, day-to-day kind of um, working. I mean, the sorts of things that we have tried to do, we kept schools open for people who we designated key workers, who we absolutely wanted to make sure uh, could put their children in school so they could continue working. Um, Only about 2% of children are still at school. Uh, So those are the sorts of measures that we have done in the past. Uh, But I think the message is clear. Uh, Do work from home if you can. If you cannot, uh, you can go to work. And, but make sure that when you are at work, that you are working safely. And that's a responsibility, lies on the employer very I- much so.
3: And yet we've had the London Mestic. Of course, London's been the epicenter of this. Uh, putting out tweets saying you may not use the tube if you're not an essential worker. Uh, I had a friend only last week who was stopped, along with other people, actually stopped from getting onto the tube uh, in London uh, by police officers, turning people away if they were not able to prove they were essential workers. Completely breaching the the, the the government guidelines and certainly not within their powers. But what is the government doing to actually make sure that people are going to work if they are legally allowed to do so? And in fact, are under government policy actually encouraged to do so?
4: Well I think it's fair to say we are not going to be in a position where we are around the country uh, dealing with millions of uh, employees uh, on exactly what each individual is there to do. We've set out to support business um, in a strong way one about the furloughing aspect for those businesses where we've said they cannot operate. I think on others our guidance has been strong. Uh, I know that the Mayor um, did reduce the number of Uh, trains that was uh, operating in the London area, the number of tubes, Uh, I think that might have changed uh, recently. Uh, But the point is clear, Um, you can go to work if you cannot work from home. And we want to encourage people uh, to keep working, uh, because it's important that we're in a position to be able to bounce back from this challenging economic situation. Uh, But that will only happen and start fully once we're in a uh, clinically safe place to do so as a nation.
3: And of course, there is a big concern of 1.4 million people claiming universal credit now. Um, we, we know that universal credit in the system was was creaking as it was with the numbers that you had, but now it's uh, so much bigger. Um, there are going to be big concerns about delays. Are people getting those loans that uh, that that can help them tide them over the, the first few weeks while they wait five weeks for any payments to be made? Is is there been a, has there been a big uptake of that, and has that been offered to everyone who needs it?
4: It's been offered to anybody who who's made the application. So we've now got nearly 1.4 million people who've applied for universal credit. Um, I think as of uh, a few days ago, 360,000 advances have been issued. So money is there and available. Online
2: on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk radio.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
2: com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk radio.
3: David Gork is not only a former Justice Secretary, former Work and Pension Secretary, also his former Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Uh, so, uh, David Gork, thank you very much indeed for joining us.
1: Good morning,
3: Julia. Good morning. I mean, there are so many different aspects to this lockdown uh, that actually uh, time with a lot of your, your previous jobs. But there is this whole sort of battle we understand that's going on inside the cabinet now between what we're told are the doves and the hawks. But I think that's probably a, a rather sort of immature uh, characterisation of, of the debate over whether or not we go for an earlier uh, move out of the lockdown or keeping a very strict lockdown. And this is all to do with the risks we are willing to take uh, with people's lives uh, now versus is the risk we're willing to take with the economy and people's lives in the future. Can you go through some of the issues Do you think that would be being debated around the cabinet table right now?
1: Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely right to say this is very, very complex and I suspect it is more complex than simply doves and hawks. Um, but yeah, you've got huge numbers of, of trade-offs to, 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 to work out and I do think it is harder for the politicians to loosen uh, a lockdown than it is to tighten it. And you know, the really difficult political decisions are still to come. So in that sense, um, you know, I've a huge amount of sympathy with my, my former colleagues. But I think what, what ideally you would want to be able to do is to identify those restrictions, which, if you like, have a minimal impact on the spread of the virus, on people's health, ultimately on fatalities, with those areas that would provide the biggest boost possible for the economy and ensure that we... Um, you know, we can create some wealth and financially we can afford to take the measures that we need to take to protect ourselves. And that's the sort of fundamental challenge here because, um, of course, you know, saving lives has to be the priority But a continued lockdown. Um, if it makes us a poorer society, if it damages health of other ways because people aren't getting the medical care that they need or because they're cooped up and they're not getting the exercise they need, Um, the the damage to people's mental health for example you know these are really really difficult trade-offs and I think it's enormously complex and I think you do have to look at look at the evidence you know what have we got by way of testing capacity how effective do we think the tests are particularly the antibodies tests which you know we were hoping to have by now but it's, it's going to be more more difficult than we realized what's the prevalence of this virus in society how many people have already got it you, know, you want to build up the evidence as much as possible so that you can make, make judgments based on that evidence. But sometimes we don't have the evidence, and it is you know there's some real sort of trade-offs here about are we trying to completely suppress the virus so it, it barely exists in this country, but that's going to take a long, long time, or do we try to um, keep the virus down at a level that we can manage it, But that's a really tough judgment to make. So um, some really big decisions to come. I think it's pretty clear that now is not the time to relax the restrictions. No,
3: and, and it was never going to be, was it? I mean, we're seeing Spain, Italy, Austria, they're starting to lift their lockdowns. I mean, to be fair, uh, Spain has been hit very hard, but um, uh, as well as Italy, but I mean, Spain is just coming out of a sort of a, to a lockdown level to a level that we're at right now. They've had such a strict lockdown. France renewing their lockdown, uh, and we know they went into lockdown a week before us as well. Um, it is interesting, though, how much public support there is uh, for the lockdown, uh, much higher than in many other European countries, and certainly in America. Um, Seventy-four percent of people supporting the idea that we should, you know, be, be cutting the the the, the 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 fatality cost of the virus and the risk to people, uh, and that should be prioritised over the economy. But but as you just hinted at, and and as in your former job as chief secretary to the treasury, you'd understand there is when there is a knock-on effect to the economy as there is a huge one I mean, this is going to dwarf anything that happened in the 2008 economic you know banking crisis there is a knock on effect on people's health it's just we're not going to see and it's a horrible image but we're not going to see the body bags um of the economic damage you know piled up in the mortuaries the same way we see from coronavirus we're not going to have that instant emotional reaction to deaths that are going to happen in the months and years ahead uh, across the country, because we're we're not going to see it in the same way, but it may well, as many experts are arguing, end up costing more lives and crucially, younger lives. Given that expert after expert has said to us, and we're not saying that elderly lives are not valuable and and are you know easy to throw away. No one is saying that, but 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 uh, but the idea that someone who was so ill and so elderly in their 80s, who was realistically going to die in the next year or two anyway, losing their life now is although a tragedy perhaps many would argue not as great a tragedy as say someone in their 30s in good health losing their life we we do have to look at all these trade-offs don't we
1: we do have to look at the 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 trade-offs i mean i think the the public is you're absolutely right to say that you know the public supports you know the lockdown focusing on that i think even if the government said which which they're rightly not going to but if they did say right everyone back to work people wouldn't go back to work because they can see what the um you know, what the risks are, um, but yes, there, is, there there are you know real risks if we end up as a much poorer society, and there's this horrible phrase, sort of statistical deaths. We might be able to identify those who' have died of COVID-19, um, but we won't be able to identify those who who die because we're a poorer society, or because you know they've they've, um, uh, they've not been able to carry on a normal life over these months. But I I think, as I say, the the government is right. It needs to focus on enforcing the current lockdown. I think it's been right not to mix messages and, and talk lots about the exit strategy i think it's right that they haven't um, stated that publicly but they clearly do, do, you, do you think
3: that, that is the reason why they're not doing it because it'd be a mixed message and people will say oh well if they're going to end it soon anyway it doesn't matter if i breach it now is that is it uh, is it is it about keeping the message very stark and very simple for people who uh, are, are not going to perhaps understand the nuances that yes you yes. can't go out this week but you might be able to go out in two weeks time
1: yeah, I think that's principally it. Once you start saying, you know, you can go out in a week's time, then people say, we can go out next week, we can go out this week. So I think it's principally that. I think a second factor is because, you know, as, as I was talking about earlier, um, you want your, lock, that, your, your relaxations to your exit strategy to be based on the evidence. That evidence is still emerging. Things are still changing. The information that we may have in a, in three weeks' time may be different from the information we have now. So if you, if you had an exit strategy now, it probably wouldn't be the strategy you end up pursuing at the point at which you exit. So um, you, once you start talking about an exit strategy, people ask, well, what is it? Uh, but that is not to say that the government shouldn't be constantly looking at what its options are. It should be asking itself the questions of what are our options for exit and can we build up the evidence to support one particular route out so for example uh opening primary schools which as 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 your previous speaker pointed out would be something that would get a lot of support if if it was safe you know we need to be looking at what is the prevalence amongst young people what are the risks for children what are the risks for teachers and uh, we've got one or two countries of course that are now uh, reducing their own lockdown and we might be able to look at the evidence that emerges from, say, Denmark that's doing that. Um, So I think you need to be thinking about your exit strategy, you need to be planning for it, you need to be constantly revising what your exit strategy is. But I think the government is right not to talk about it. You mix the messages and confuse people and also the evidence may change and so what looks like a sensible approach today might turn out not to be a sensible approach when we see More evidence over the course of the next few weeks.
2: Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
3: Uh, Yesterday, Chris Whitty, the professor uh, who is the chief medical officer for England, said that around uh, 13.5% of care homes had registered an outbreak. And as many as half of our coronavirus deaths could be happening in our care homes. But of course, they're not being counted in the official daily death toll, which is just for hospital deaths. Many, of course, are not even being registered as coronavirus deaths, as many residents can't even get testing. Well, in the last few moments, the Office for National Statistics has published new figures uh, showing that 217 deaths from coronavirus in care homes that's in the week to the 3rd of April. Now, that was 11 days ago. Uh, things have got a lot worse since then. Well, let's talk to Catherine Smith, who's Chief Operating Officer at the Alzheimer's Society. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. And I say this, these new figures from the ONS, 217 deaths of coronavirus, we have to take that in the context of uh, the week to the 3rd of April was uh, a long way ago. It was, at, you know, the beginning uh, of the of the lockdown uh, and we've seen a lot more cases reported in care homes in the last few days, of the last uh, week or two. Uh, but also that uh, it's difficult to know if someone has died of coronavirus. If they haven't got a test, certainly, and I've mentioned this many times before, apologies to my regular listeners, uh, but you know, my own, uh, my own elderly aunt, in a care home 11 suspected cases and for two weeks now we've been unable to get anyone tested so how on earth if someone does die will we know that it's a coronavirus death or not
5: absolutely you're absolutely right we've been asking for testing within care homes and for care home status some time now and we've had many many um, care homes <coughs> sorry excuse me many care homes reports was that they have got um, Um, many residents with symptoms of coronavirus, but of course they don't know whether it is or not, and we had over um, 50% of care homes telling us that they had this situation, and if we were to take the data from across Europe, Europe have reported that 50% of their cases were in care homes so um, we can expect that that number to be a lot higher than what the ONS is, is now reporting. Yeah,
3: indeed, now we know I like me like many many others we, we are not allowed to visit our family members in care homes and haven't been allowed to for some weeks uh, and certainly we stopped about a, a month ago or before then I think but of course care workers are still going in uh, very valiantly often on, on a minimum wage, very very tough work uh, and, uh, and they going in every day because they 're having to use public transport they're with their family members uh, they themselves are at risk again residents are not getting tested but neither are often the care home workers um, we know in Italy they were thinking that something like thirty percent of, of deaths may have been uh, in, in 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 care homes but of course far more people in Italy uh, are, are likely to live in three generational homes they live with their family members in this country le- it's less the case but um, there, there is an issue in terms of getting tested for care home workers and, and a doctor put this to me and this is this is so Sounds incredibly cruel, but this may be the harsh reality, which is that... The the argument being, and I'm not saying this is official government policy, this is what a a couple of medics have said to me. Realistically, uh, if you've got someone in their 80s or 90s in a care home who's very unwell, number of of underlying issues, um, if they do get sick with coronavirus, they would not be put on a ventilator in hospital to save their life because they'd be very unlikely to survive um, and it would actually be a much more painful experience for them. And they probably wouldn't be taken to hospital for that reason. And therefore, there's no point in testing elderly residents who who are likely to die anyway, uh, if you're not going to give them that life-saving treatment because you don't believe it will save their lives. Uh, In which case, there's no point carrying out the testing.
5: What do you say to that? Yeah, I'm afraid I completely disagree with that. I mean, I think there are a number of issues in there, and um, one of which is that whether or not somebody receives life-saving treatment has to be based on an individual, um, their own individual circumstances, their own individual condition, not by virtue of the fact that they're in a residential home, not by virtue of the fact that they might have dementia or that they're over a certain age. It has to be based on their individual circumstances, and we can't make blanket decisions that discriminate against somebody for any of those reasons. But the other issue is that it's not just about that person. Care homes are having to receive... Um, people coming from hospitals and from other places that they don't know if they've got coronavirus or not and they are then a risk to the rest of that care home and to the other people within that care home including um, the other elderly residents who are also vulnerable but also including um, the staff and you can isolate to a certain extent within a care home but it's a home at the end of the day it's not a hospital and people the care staff need to move from resident to resident to provide service and some of yeah. the people within these care homes, um, many of them have dementia. 70% of people within care homes have dementia. And actually, if they're not confined to, to the bed, as many of them aren't, it's actually quite difficult to um, isolate somebody with dementia that's not necessarily understanding the situation just now. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And we know, of course, there's a very, very big issue with getting uh, that sort of PPE equipment, the protective equipment for uh, care home workers who are very much on the front line. Uh, Catherine Smith, thank you so much for joining us. She's from the Alzheimer's Society.
2: Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
3: Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.